tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Happy Valentine's Day again. Um, I was taking a break the other day, so I was looking around Hulu to see um, what I could watch, and I found the perfect clip for a Valentine's Day sermon on, on what I was watching. And naturally, that, that probably gives away what I was watching, right? Clearly, it was the Twilight Zone, right? That's what it was. Um, not the Twilight about the glittery vampires. Um, it's an old show. I guess there's new reboots, but this was the original, the very first episode. I don't know how to describe it. I just know I would watch it occasionally as a kid, and it would really scare me, really freak me out. And so I didn't watch that many, but I decided to watch it, starting in season one, episode one, to see if... I was a little less scared this time. So, so spoiler alert, if you need a spoiler alert from anything in 1959, but let me tell you about the first episode. There's this guy who arrives in a city, and he's the only person there. There's signs of life everywhere, but no people. And, and finally, the guy just mentally cracks. He breaks down. He starts sobbing, and he's crying out in desperation. He just feels like he's losing his mind. And it turns out he wasn't in a deserted town. He was actually in a box with a bunch of things connected to his head, and he was part of a government experiment to prepare him to go to space alone. So basically, this was virtual reality experiment in 1959. Crazy. So this guy, he feels terrible about cracking under the pressure, but the words of one of the military officials who were checking on him and trying to get him nursed back to health had this this amazing um, series of lines here that I think is instructive to any of us. He says this, he says, quote, you see, we can feed the stomach with concentrates. We can supply microfilm for reading, recreation, even movies of a sort. We can pump oxygen in and waste material out, but there's one thing we can't simulate that's a very basic need. Man's hunger for companionship, the barrier of loneliness. That's the one thing we haven't licked yet. And he said that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I, I don't remember any lessons in the Twilight Zone. I just remember being scared growing up. And so this was, I thought that was particularly powerful, particularly given our isolation these days that many are going through. And so on this day that celebrates companionship, happy Valentine's Day, or happy Valentine's Day? Sometimes it's with a question mark, right? Because I know it's a pretty polarizing holiday. I know some people who love it and others who... Don't so much. And so um, since we're online and one of the ways we can engage is you feel free to comment. So you can give us a thumbs up in the comments or a thumbs down if you don't like Valentine's Day. But uh, let, your, let your preferences be known there. And if you're not such a fan, let us know which holiday you're looking forward to next. Whether it's like President's Day, as soon as Valentine's over, you're happy. Or St. Patrick's Day or whatever it is that you prefer. But let us know. Let's stay engaged online there any way we can. But whether you love it or whether you loathe it, it's Valentine's Day. And we're going to look at this morning at our need to be loved at the deepest level, at a level that can only be filled by God. So our title today is Love Like Jesus, which means we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at how Jesus loves. And then we're going to see what difference it makes in terms of in our own lives, but then also in how we love others. But before we get to that, let's pray. So if you would stand with me, if you're able, I know it's tough getting off the couch, but do it with me this morning and, uh, and let's pray together and then we'll get into the word. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together, 
for this opportunity to sing together, to worship you. Even if it's through a screen, Lord, it's great to be with your people as best we can in these difficult times. And so thank you for this opportunity. And as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our heart, that you would open our ears, and that we would end this time changed, looking a little bit more like Jesus than than when we started. So we love you, Father. Look forward to what you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if, you, if I were to take a poll and say, where do you think we should go to learn about how Jesus loves us? Um, you would probably, probably come up with dozens of different answers. Oh, I like this story. I like this teaching of his. I like this miracle of his. And these could all work. Miss Christine's story could have been all of our topics for today. Um, and those would be great. They would be appropriate. But we're going to go to his interaction with a woman who knew pain. Not physical pain, at least that we know of, but an intense social and probably romantic pain. And so many of us understand this to varying degrees. This, this lockdown pandemic has been incredibly difficult. We're isolated, we're hurting, we're grieving, we're lonely, we're angry. Um, to varying degrees, we might get this woman better than ever right now. So we're going to see Jesus' love expressed in a place that would be pretty surprising to Jesus' disciples. We'll find that it actually is surprising to them. And any self-respecting Jewish person in the first century. Jesus is trekking north to Samaria. But for you to get to Samaria, all you have to do is turn to John chapter 4. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 4 in your Bibles. And as you're turning there, I'm going to go back to Miss Christine's brilliant. If you're, Cyprus and Losau were both on the, on the online today um, for this message. So Miss Christine has been teaching us the geography of Israel, uh, ancient Israel during this time. Judea is the southern region. Galilee is the northern region. Samaria is in the middle. So Jesus was coming from Jerusalem up to Samaria. And that's a, a, just a brilliant illustration, a triple-decker ice cream. It's a tasty illustration of geography there. And so helps us all remember how it fits together. Jesus is under threat of being arrested. Now we know later in his story he will be, but it's not time for that yet. And so he is moving from Jerusalem up to his home base in Galilee, which means he's going through Samaria. Now Samaria was a region of Israel that was conquered centuries previous. And part of the way they kept the people under control was, was they, would, they deported a lot of Israelites and they brought in a lot of people from other nations to, to mix the population and dilute their kind of cultural cohesion so that, so that the uh, Assyrians could rule without getting hassled, right? So that was how they do it, did it. Now, the result was that the Jewish people in Jesus' day from the southern kingdom, they considered the Samaritans, they were half-breeds. They felt like they were, there was something wrong with them. Jews and Samaritans were not on good terms, to say the least, and yet we pick up our story. Jesus is heading to Galilee, but he's going through Samaria to get there. Now, each week I try to give you a central thought, something that I hope to have rattling around in your head this week. And this one's pretty simple, but it's really important. It's this, loved people love, and you are loved. I've heard that expression through the years in the context of counseling, that wounded people wound. And so often when someone is hurtful, it's coming out of some unaddressed pain in their past. Well, we're going to flip that on its head this morning. And we're going to look at the fact that loved people love, and you're loved. And I'm going to prove it to you. If you're, you. You should be in John 4 by now, so let's get to this. Now, if you read the first few verses, it's what we've already covered for the most part, except I didn't mention that it's about noon when Jesus sits down beside a well. Now, as he does that, and as he's sitting there, a solitary woman comes up. Look at verse 7, the first part. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, these are pretty seemingly simple words, but they actually tell us quite a bit. 
Noon means it's pretty hot outside, and most women would come to the well early in the morning or later in the evening when things were cooler, and they'd also come in groups. This woman's alone in the heat of the day. Something's not right here. She's also a Samaritan. We've covered what that means. Generally, a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman would at best politely avoid each other. That's not what Jesus does. It's like he listened to my sermon last week. He starts talking to her. He makes contact here. Verse 7 and 8, he says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman's surprised, um, and she lets Jesus know she's surprised. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We've covered that already. And and we know that there's tension in that, right? But now things are going to turn just a little bit. Remember, loved people love, and you are loved. That's our central thought. And we're going to see God's love for this woman played out in the ministry of Jesus to her and, and on her very unconventional spiritual journey here. Now, also notice last week we talked about the, the idea of making contact, and then when people respond, there's an interaction, and then our desire is to go deeper into some kind of engagement where we're talking about and engaging with someone on a deeper level than, the, than is just the surface, that moves them deeper in their relationship with God and us in our deeper relationship with each other. And so what, that's what we're going to witness moving forward here with Jesus. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is pointing her to something deeper here, a new kind of life, but she's still not getting it. She's she's a little slow on the pickup here. She's still thinking literal water and wells. So verses 11 and 12. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, back to the Twilight Zone illustration that I started with, right? Valentine's Day. We're we're talking here about about satisfaction, about um, meaning at its deepest level. And and it's it's about more than food or water that we're talking about here. It's It's a deeper kind of life that Jesus is talking about. And she's just, she's still not getting it, but Jesus isn't going to give up on her. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that's a pretty tremendous promise. Maybe she's getting it now. Let's look at verse 15. She's not. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, love people love and you are loved. Jesus loves this woman, so she's not getting it, but he's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep pressing through the fog, so hopefully he'll get some kind of breakthrough. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, this seems really strange. It seems like a, a, a pretty much a detour from what we've been talking about, but remember what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about literal water like my Starbucks cup. It's water, not coffee. He's not talking about that kind of water anymore. But he's talking about satisfaction. He's talking about meaning. He's talking about ultimate fulfillment. And that, so he's moving her into that area. He's looking for that, pointing to that thing that can well up and satisfy us eternally. Satisfaction, not literal water. So let's see where this line of questioning takes us. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Ooh, 
It's a little awkward, right? That got awkward quickly, but don't worry. It's going to get worse. Let's keep reading. Um, Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Ouch. That was rough. Now, let me start off by saying that if you're just meeting someone and you're moving towards a deeper conversation, I don't recommend this, right? I mean, this is pretty bold for an introductory conversation, but being Jesus has its privileges. This is the way to lose friends and alienate people unless you happen to be omniscient. But Jesus, he can, he can read her like a magazine. It is totally clear to him. He knows what's going on. Now, the, to the satisfaction point, this woman has clearly been pursuing satisfaction in dead-end relationships for quite a while. She's, she's working on her next mistake here, future ex-husband number six right now. And now we don't know the full story. We don't know if she finds these men and then ends up leaving them or if she is in this constant cycle of being cast aside by these men. But either way, the pain is huge. It's significant here and Jesus goes straight to it. It's clear also that she stays clear of the women. Remember, she came alone at midday. So read that how you will. Loved people love and this woman has not been loved. She's made multiple attempts But the well of relationships always runs dry for her. Any of us ever done this? Of course we have, whether it looks like this or not, whether it's even in a relationship issue or not. But maybe we find ourselves, it is a relationship issue and we're in a bad one. Again, we don't know how we got here. Or maybe it's not the relationships we're in, but we keep longing for something else or or, or we think we're that one relationship or if my my partner would just change one thing, then everything would be better and I would be satisfied and fulfilled. Or maybe it's not relationships at all, but we chase success or any number of things. This woman is on the hamster wheel of relationships and it's been ruining her. So Jesus and this woman are in full engagement mode and Jesus has touched the nerve of one of her idolatries, relationships. And that nerve is raw and so she flees from that pain. So she tries to change the subject as quickly as she can to what? Well, obviously, let's find something to fight about. So she brings up her identity that is tied up in her race and her religion. So this is a 180 degree turn here from her immorality and sin to religious identity. It's a big shift on the surface. But remember, when we're thinking about satisfaction, meaning, purpose, then it starts to make a little sense. So let's read about it first, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Verses 19 and 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So this conversation has gotten so awkward and so personal that she's going to throw the ethnic and religious tensions of Jews and Samaritans on the table because that's preferable to where this was going. It seems like it's a distraction, but it's probably not that much of a distraction. It's just her other secondary issue of identity that can be an idol when it's pursued as satisfaction in its own right apart from God, when that's our source of meaning apart from Jesus. And so the trap is set by this woman, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. He actually sets her straight. He says the Jewish people are right. The Samaritans are wrong on this one, verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But he doesn't just stop there. Because ultimately both things as systems or as groups or as identities are not what's most important. What's most important is the work of God in our hearts and in our lives 
through Jesus the Messiah. Love people love, and this is God's love being played out in such a way that this will transcend anything that would divide us. So the woman recognizes. Let me, I think I missed a part here. Let's go to verse 23, 24. I don't think I read that. He says, salvation's from the Jews. And then he says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the Holy Spirit living in us and guiding us, that's what it's all about. It's not ultimately about temples or, or people groups or identities. It's about God's work in us. And so this woman recognizes, she's like, okay, I, I get what you're saying here. And, and I'll really get it when the, when the chosen one comes, when the Messiah comes, he can bridge this divide. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, guess what? Here I am. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So what's happening here is, is astounding. It's tremendous. In simply asking for a cup of water, Jesus makes contact with this woman, which led to an awkward interaction that was in some ways painful that became an engagement that revealed how shallow and dry the wells were that she went to for ultimate satisfaction. Relationships, identity, um, religion, anything apart from God. That's not to say they aren't important. Certainly they are, but they're not ultimate. Jesus is. But he doesn't leave her in despair. He doesn't just say, okay, that's it. Um, I'm going to take off now. No, he gives her hope, and he is the hope. Remember, loved people love, and now, now she's been loved. Not always, but certainly by Jesus. And then the disciples, they show up, and they wonder, what in the world's going on here? Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And so ends this story of engagement, but the story's not over. Because remember, loved people love, and she's been loved. And so now we're going to see her complete the loop. She's going to go back into town and let people know what's going on. Look at verses 28 and 29. I, my throat is running dry, so I'm going to get a drink real quick. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Which this goes to the story Miss Christine was talking about, right? That she went back and did with this, this man who had been delivered from these evil spirits. He, he, Jesus told him, go back into town. She just went and did it. She's on fire, right? And we think, of course, this is amazing news we're sharing. And it is, but let's not forget who this woman is. She's coming to the well alone because she's not exactly good, in good with the ladies in town. She's got a longer list of ex-lovers than, than, than some pop stars. Going back into town is not a safe place for her. It's not going to be pleasant for her. But love people love. And she's been loved. And the people respond. Verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. And if you keep reading, you'll see they respond favorably to Jesus. I imagine she wasn't the greatest character witness at this point in her community. But they could tell something was different. It's clear that she'd been drinking deeply of the well of living water. Not her stale wells of relationship, identity, religion, ethnicity, whatever. All of this was worth investigating by the people in the city. Love people love, and she had been loved. And the Samaritan city, people cast off by most of, of Jesus and his kinsmen, they met the Messiah, and now they have a movement on their hands. It's amazing. So now we have to ask ourselves, well, what does this mean for us? 
Well, if we look at John 20, we get some direction. John 20, verses 21 is kind of, verse 21, is kind of like the great commission of John. It says this, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That we're sent like Jesus so that we can learn so we can learn from him what being sent looks like. So we can do some things like him. Not exactly like him, but similar. So from this we have to ask, what are our next steps? Well, love people love and you're loved. So let's start by being perfectly clear. You are loved by God. Unconditionally. Not after or because you get yourself together. That's clear from our story. She didn't have anything together. Jesus initiated just as you are, not some future version of you, he loves you right now, right where you are. How much does he love you? He loves you enough that, that he would die so that you could be reconciled to him and his father. While we were yet sinners, the apostle Paul says in Romans, Christ died for us. This is pretty clear. It's pretty basic. And I should move on to the next thing. And I know some of you are nodding, maybe even smiling because you agree, you know this, but you don't know this that it isn't as deep in you as it needs to be. So we're going to stay here until you know this. Actually, we're not because that's a lifetime project, but I'm going to give you some tools so that you can know this deeply. Because we aren't going to live the loved people love kind of life the way we're supposed to until we really even begin to understand how deeply God loves us. So here's what I want you to do. Earlier in the Psalm series, I asked... uh, asked us to to meditate on some scripture passages that would help us understand some truths about God, truths about ourselves. Well, a book that I found incredibly helpful, and so has anyone I've ever gone through the book with or pointed pointed to the book, is The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. And he encourages this act of exercise of solitude, he calls it. And he just says, you take some verses and you just read through them slowly, very slowly, maybe a few times through, and just let the truths of them soak into you. And so here's some good ones I want you to focus your mind upon. Just a partial list, but if you spend some time in these this week, you're going to really get a better grasp of God's love for you. That you're a child of God, it says in John 1.12. How amazing is that? I mean, implicit in that is that God loves you. He loves his children. You're loved enough that he would die for you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the world. God's love is so strong that nothing can separate us from his love from Romans 8, 38 and 39. Jeremiah 31 says he loved us with an everlasting love. If you read Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, it's one of Paul's prayers that we we would begin to grasp the height and the depth and the amazing riches of God's love. Spend some time there. It'll blow your mind and it'll help you get a grasp, just a little bit of a grasp on how much God loves you. And that's a powerful, powerful reality. I encourage you to listen to worship music that will emphasize God's love for you. Love people love, and you're loved. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you see it or not, you are loved, and the best thing you can do with your life is is take the time for that reality to just saturate your being and shape you beyond what you think to the depths of who you are. God loves you just as you are. He also loves you too much to leave you there, but that's a sermon for another day. But for now, understand how deep his love is. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And then when you get that, when you get that you're loved like that, you know what happens? Love people love. And this kind of love is going to hit the world differently. Because when you know you're loved, 
you have this amazing strength to love differently. Romans speaks of the love of God that is poured into our hearts, and that gives us the ability to love more powerfully the world around us. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can overcome differences. We can manage disappointments and, and unmet expectations. Love people love, and you are loved, and there is great power in that love. And love is so critical when we talk about engagement and mission, because when it comes to mission, even the language of mission can, can be very much, let me put on my combat boots, let me put on my, my helmet and grab my sword for battle type thing, right? And, and there's a part and a way for that thinking, but this mission is a mission of love. It is grounded in, it is fueled by love. And the mission is, by God's definition of love, that's the mission. Love people love and you're loved. And that means we take that externally, we take that out to others. So what does this love look like as we seek to live on mission with it, as we live it out? If you keep reading, you'll see Jesus do some healing. There's a place for good works, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But right now, I just want to talk about engaging, and that's how Jesus showed love in this passage. Jesus' kind of love was miraculous to this woman. I mean, this, she might have asked for any number of different miracles if she was initiating, but Jesus knew what she needed more than anything else. He needed someone to really care about her. So his love was miraculous to her. So last week you had homework. Um, if you missed last week, then you got some makeup work to do. So we're, we're, we got the grade book out. So the, the homework last week was to contact two people. And to contact, all that means is that you make an effort to reach out to them and just say, hey, how are you? You send a text, you write a note, um, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's the first thing you do. Then the next thing is interaction and engagement. And then um, and engagement is going to be today's homework. But Interact, contact is one way. It's you reaching out to them. Interactions when they respond back, and that's great, and when they return the communication. But our ultimate goal in, in our relationships as much as possible is engagement. And that's the challenge for this week. That's, that's what I, that, engagement is when we go deeper in our relationship with God and our deeper in relate, relationship with each other. And so th- this week, I want you to engage one one person. It could be the couple people you contacted last week, and it could be that moving deeper. It could be someone you see all the time, and you interact on a superficial level, but you want that relationship to go deeper. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um, just go deeper in some of the relationships you have. Now, I get that scary for some of us. <clears throat> it's scary for me, um, but I have some things to help you. First, do not start with a list of their ungodly relationships. Jesus can do things you're not allowed to do, right? Okay, so don't start there. That's just my first tip. He knows people better than you. We follow his example in general, not every particular. There's a place for hard conversations, but it's probably not the first time you're actually going deep with someone. But instead of the do nots, what do you do? Well, talk with people and genuinely care. Ask follow-up questions and, and be interested in what they're interested in. And, and show that you love them by the fact that you're listening. And, and as appropriate, maybe it's, it's in, it includes broadening our, our discussion into those areas that are more important to people or more important in general. I love talking sports, but engagement doesn't happen over sports. That's the lobby to something more significant of work, family, spiritual lives. Don't shoehorn it in there and, and be all weird, but be willing to go there. And ask broad questions and see where God leads that. Um, that's what it looks like to love people, at least on one level, is to care about those important areas of life. 
And in time, maybe you can get to those painful things, those empty wells that, and lead people to true life change. And certainly that's what we want. But that's built with time and that's built with trust. And trust comes as we engage each other, as we engage the other, those who are different than us. So the challenge is out there. Keep contacting, try and contact two more people this week or so. But more importantly, try to find a place to go deeper with someone. Maybe it's one of those contacts. Maybe it's a long-time acquaintance. But talk more deeply about what's important in life. And if you do, you're going to be blessed. And so are they. Love people love, and you're loved. And if you ever doubt God's love, don't look at your feelings. They're terrible guides. Don't look at your circumstances. Those change constantly. If you need to look at one thing, look at the cross. That is the eternal declaration that shows God's love for us. Loved people love, and you're loved. Don't doubt it, don't forget it. And if you waver, look at the cross and remember what Jesus has done for you.